Welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast for another example of astronomy and astronomy-related misconceptions, mistakes, half-truths, and conspiracies. My name is Stuart Robbins, and this is episode 49 for the fourth quarter of August 2012. The topic I'm going to talk about today is the specific claim of a specific prediction of the alleged UFO contactee Billy Meyer, put forward by his officially authorized North American media representative Michael Horn, that Meyer predicted that the asteroid Apophis will strike Earth in 2036. Now, the basic claim is really just that. This is a claim that I've investigated in depth, and based on the evidence gathered that I'm going to relate over the next 15 to 20 minutes, it turned out to be a retrodiction, or at least the evidence is most consistent with a retrodiction. This episode is going to go through the history of the claim based upon the writings of Billy Meyer that I've been able to find, as well as some of the statements by Michael Horn. Now, first off, the data on asteroid Apophis. Asteroid 99942 Apophis was discovered in June of 2004, and two of its three co-discoverers were fans of the TV series Stargate SG-1, and so they chose to name the asteroid after one of the recurrent villains in the first four seasons, the Gwauld named Apophis. The asteroid orbits the sun roughly once every 324 days, and it's about 270 meters, or about 0.17 miles across. The asteroid gets as close to the sun as about 75% the Earth-Sun distance, and its farthest point is about 10% past Earth in units of Earth-Sun distance. This is also known as an astronomical unit, or AU for short. This means that it crosses Earth's orbit. When its orbit was initially determined, there was a 2.7% chance that it would strike Earth in 2029. With more observations over a longer time period, that chance dropped to effectively zero that it will strike either Earth or the Moon in 2029. But during that year, there is a chance that the asteroid will pass through a very small region of space. It's no more than half a mile or a little under a kilometer wide. If it does pass through that small region of space, then Earth's gravity will alter its orbit and it will send it on a collision course for Earth for April 13th, 2036. That was until August 2006, when further refinement of the orbit from more observations lowered the chance of impact even more, and as of October 2009, the probability is about one in a quarter million that it will actually pass through the proper region of space for this to happen. Because this region of space is so tiny, it's often referred to as a keyhole, or a gravitational keyhole. The next good opportunity for observations of Apophis to even further refine its orbit will be next year, in 2013. Now, if Apophis were to strike Earth on April 13, 2036, the current estimates are that it would hit with somewhere around 500 megatons of TNT of explosive power. This is roughly 100 times the energy that created the Beringer Meteor Crater in Arizona, or it's roughly a hundred times the estimate of the Tunguska impact about a century ago. It's also about ten times the energy of the largest hydrogen bomb ever exploded, the Tsar Bomba. If it does hit, the current estimates for its path spans from Russia eastward. It heads south over the Pacific to cross roughly around Hawaii, 
and then it continues east through Panama and off the tip of South America. It then ends off the eastern coast of Africa. Europe is not in the possibility of being hit, and that's an important point because the Meyer prediction says it's going to hit in Europe. Enter Billy Meyer and Michael Horn, which I already did just to give you an entry to them. Now, for background on the two of them, I interviewed Derek Bartholomus in episode 32, and that will give you a good overview of the subject if you're not already familiar with them. I'm not really going to go into any more background here on the two of them. As I said, this episode is about a very specific claim and the investigation of that claim. Now, if you ever listen to Michael Horn speak about Meyer's alleged prophecies, then you'll quickly notice that he frequently makes reference to books and copyright dates that would prove his case in any court of law. These things really aren't disputed. What is disputed is the specificity of what was written and whether or not that actually is the prediction or the statement that Meyer and Horn later say it is. The earliest writings that have been traced by Meyer to this specific prediction is from 1981, and it's one of Meyer's contact reports, specifically report number 150. All of these are written in German, which I don't speak, and I'm not going to attempt to speak here, so I'll be reading the English translations. Now, these contact reports, just for a little bit of background on them, are alleged conversations with Meyer's alien friends that are transcribed word for word by Meyer. They're often very lengthy, and they frequently complement Meyer extensively. In Contact Report 150, Meyer wrote that he stated to the Plejaren Quetzal, quote, I am particularly interested in the Red Meteor. Now, is this the destroyer, or is this another comet that passes again and again through our solar system? End quote. Quetzal supposedly responded, quote, Neither, my friend. The meteor mentioned in the prophecies, which will exhibit an enormous size and cause very vicious destructive havoc on Earth, and which threatens to bring climatic and also tectonic and other changes, will also threaten to split the Earth's crust from today's North Sea to the Black Sea. But this doesn't have to be true with certainty because now certain factors speak otherwise. End quote. And that's really it. So, in 1981, Meyer wrote down that there's a prophecy about a, quote, red meteor, end quote, that will cause destructive havoc on Earth, but threatens a bunch of other stuff, but may not actually happen because of, quote, certain factors. That's it for over 20 years. The next mention that I could find is not by Meyer, but by Michael Horn. A man named George Medeski asked Meyer, is the impending red meteor event still on? It will rip a gash in Europe from Baltic Sea to Black Sea. Is it fair to ask you this? When you say impending, does that mean within the next 20 years, 50 years? Or what does that word really mean? What does it imply? Will this event stop the growth of food crops for a few years and consequently cause famine, leading to war for food resources by nations who have nothing to lose, as in they're desperate? End quote. Michael Horn's response, not actually Meyer's response, but Michael Horn's as the authorized North American media representative of Billy Meyer was, quote, It is still on its way. It has not yet been discovered. Well, quote, officially, Billy doesn't know, and then a smiley face. Regarding the end question, no, and the Earth will not explode. 
end quote. So 21 years after the initial mention of a red meteor and nothing after that, there's a request by a follower for more information, and there is none. Two years later, in 2004, Apophis was officially discovered and announced. But the next mention of anything related to it by Meyer was in 2008, with contact report number 471. Meyer, in what he calls a conversation with the Plajaran Ptah, which actually sounds kind of Klingon, states, quote, But since we are talking about Mars, the red planet, the red meteor comes to my mind, of which it is written in a prophecy. If I remember correctly, he said that the great danger by the meteor would threaten Earth on the 13th April 2029, while at the same time he also named a date for the year 2036, end quote. Alright, so remember the timeline here. In 1981 was the first mention. In 2002, no new information. 2004, Apophis was found, its orbit calculated, and all this other stuff, including when it would swing by Earth. And then, four years later, Meyer very directly links his red meteor with the astronomical data of Apophis, although we still don't have it by its name yet. There was nothing connecting the two before this, and Apophis isn't exactly red, but now he's put the red meteor together with the dates for asteroid Apophis. Four contact reports later, Meyer wrote in Contact Report 475, quote, Regarding the red meteor that endangers Earth on the 13th of April, 2029, and of which we have already spoken on the 16th of September, I have been asked about certain things and, therefore, would like to know how big that bloke is. To my knowledge, the terrestrial astronomers have already detected it for quite some time, and are calling it a prophet or something. It shall either hit Earth in the year 2029, or only whizzing by very closely. Should it be the latter case, it, the meteor, would reappear in the year 2036, and its close approach to Earth could really lead to a catastrophe if the scientists undertake nothing against it. End quote. So now, by contact report 475 in the latter part of the year 2008, he has fully linked his red meteor with Apophis, and that's that. To most people who study those who make claims of prophecy or prediction, this is something that we encounter all the time, and it's called retrodiction. Prediction is when you're saying something is going to happen before it does. Retrodiction is the opposite, where you say something was going to happen after it already did, or you said something very vague, and then when something specific happens, you claim that that vague thing was the specific happening. Now, for example, I could claim now that I'm making a prediction. A man will win the presidency of the United States in 2012. Now, after November of this year, then I could say that I had a conversation with my imaginary friends, and during that conversation, I say, So yeah, you remember I said that a man was going to win the White House? Well, clearly that man named, and then fill in the blank with whoever won, won on November 6, 2012, at 9.42 p.m. Pacific Time. And then my imaginary friend replies, Yeah, you were so right on. You rock. You're so SMRT. I now... I am exaggerating a little bit here, but it's to make a point. This is what Billy did, whether he intended to do it or not, whether he actually knew it was Apophis before this or not, the only evidence 
that we have is most consistent with the retroaddiction hypothesis. There is no unknown information before the science announcement releases by Meyer that anyone could point to that would clearly and unambiguously show that he knew about this information before it was available to everyone else. Now fast forward a little over a year and a half to January 14th, 2010, when Michael Horn was on the Coast to Coast AM radio show with George Norrie for the fourth hour of the program. Sometime after that, he was actually banned from Coast to Coast because Michael's argument style was too obnoxious even for George Norrie, but recently he was actually back on with a different host. That aside, the hour hits the ground running with Michael making much of the 1981 writings that I told you about about 12 minutes ago. He spent several minutes going on about how the publication is out there and it would stand up in any court of law, etc., etc., etc. What he didn't say was that it never specifically mentioned Apophis, nor the years that Apophis was going to be near Earth, just the Red Meteor. Now, if you head about 10 minutes into the hour, you have this two-minute clip. I got an email from a young Austrian physicist. I know the man. I've met him in Switzerland. He and his brother are physicists, and they work on stuff pertaining to uh, hyperspace propulsion and all this, and they, they became very interested in the Meyer material. So he writes me this morning, and he said, you know, I've been thinking about this term that they use for this apophis. Why are they calling it the red meteor? Why the red meteor? And he said, then it popped into my mind that there is something called the Torino scale. And this Torino scale is a measurement that's used, a method of calculating the danger of incoming, you know, and near-Earth orbiting objects. It was created in 1995 by scientists and agreed upon at this kind of scientific convention in Torino, Italy. Hence, it's called the Torino scale. And I said, yeah, you know, looking at this email, where's this going? And then he said, it starts off at a zero in the white range where there's really no danger to it. It moves up into yellow and green. And then as the risk the Earth becomes greater, it's in the orange range. He said, however, when it's a certainty of colliding with the Earth, it's in the red range. And I sat there and I looked at this and I got chills. And so he said, this could be, he says, I'm not saying with certainty, he says, this could be their way by naming it this of giving us the ultimate clue we need, which this translates to, this is going to hit your planet. This is like something, George, this, this blew my mind. It's like out of these movies, you know, like a, a contact movie or this or that, where they say, well, we're, we're waiting for a signal from the ETs and we're sending messages. If they only can uh, talk to us in a language we understand, they inserted, apparently, the one word that a scientist could find and then cross-reference with a scale. But here's a kicker. The scale wasn't even developed until 1995. She was way ahead. So now, if we want to reduce this to its basic claim, it's that Meyer called this thing red in 1981, the Torino scale was developed in 1995, and now that Meyer is linking this to Apophis, the red in the red meteor term means red on the Torino scale, which means it's going to hit. So we need to figure out a way of deflecting it. And the fact that the Torino scale wasn't even invented at the time is just further evidence of Meyer's prophetic ability. 
Now, hopefully, I don't have to point out that this is yet another retrodiction and a very, very long stretch at that one. A few reasons why Meyer could have said red initially would have been, one, because it's sort of an evil-type color in almost every world culture. It's the color of blood. Mars, often associated with war, is color red. Two, he could have picked it because it's a danger color on most scales for things because of reason one. That's why red is bad on most gauges. That's where you have to you know, cool things off or slow things down. Red means stop on traffic lights. Stop signs are red. Or three, he could have just picked it out of thin air. As opposed to red, he might have just very well said purple. But claiming that he called it red because he was predicting the Torino scale which is even more evidence of his prophecy, is, well, we'll just say it's not rigorous evidence for the claim. Now, the next clip is shorter, and it immediately followed the first one. There's one more piece of it. Nitpickers, skeptics, will say, well, you know, he's calling it a meteor. Why isn't he calling it the asteroid? And here's the last piece of the puzzle that I found. According to something called the Division for Planetary Sciences of the American Astronomical Society, Apophis is a quote-unquote good match for a rare type of stony meteorite known as a type LL chondrite. So they gave Meyer a clue in the first part of it, red. And they told him not to call it an asteroid, but a meteor. And here, in totally unrelated information, people don't know anything about Billy Meyer. They are corroborating this. This quote is an example of grasping at about as many straws as the whole red indicator. To be clear, the proper terminology is that an asteroid is a chunk of rock in space, a meteor is when the object is falling through the atmosphere, and the meteorite is an object once it's hit the target. And by saying target here, I'm avoiding all of those what-if games where someone says, well, what if a meteor hits an airplane so it never hits the ground? Is it still a meteorite or a meteor or what? We'll just say, after it hits a target, it's called a meteorite. So right off the bat, yes, sorry Michael, Billy is using the wrong terminology. Meteor is when it's going through the atmosphere. Meteorite would be when it hits. And right now, it is asteroid Apophis. But Michael tried to save it with that quote. Saying that the asteroid Apophis is spectrally a good match for an LL chondrite on Earth means that we have sort of some idea of what it's made of where LL stands for low iron, low metal, and chondrite refers to a type of spherical rock grain called a chondrule. What Michael Horn apparently does not know is that every asteroid can be classified spectrally based on meteorites on Earth. For example, asteroid 5535 and Frank is an S-type asteroid matching stony meteorites on Earth. And LL chondrites aren't rare. Roughly 1 in 10 meteorites are LL chondrites. So saying that Meyer called it a meteor because it's going to hit, because it matches the LL chondrites, is exactly like saying that that car I saw driving down the road is definitely going to crash because I saw another car of the same type in a car crash two years ago. Seriously, that's exactly what he is saying. Now, after I published this investigation and analysis... And Derek Bartholomew published it with permission on the Independent Investigations Group website. Michael Horn still, of course, claims that Meyer has forecast this event. Actually, the specific term is prophecy. 
meaning that it could be changed rather than prediction, which Michael says can't be changed. Now, at this point in the discussion, it's a good time to bring up the idea of what would it take for me to falsify my beliefs? This is a question that everyone should always be asking themselves, regardless of what side of the issue they're on. This is something that I've been asking a lot lately with this whole lunar ziggurat stuff that's still going on a month later. The question is, what does it take for me, or what would it take for me to falsify my belief that Billy Meyer retradicted this specific prophecy? For me, that evidence would be one very simple thing. Unambiguous evidence that links the red meteor with specific data about Apophis before Apophis was discovered. I pointed that out numerous times in my writings about the subject, although I also pointed out that it would not be evidence that it's going to hit, but it would be evidence that there might be more to this than simple retrodiction. For over a year, Michael punted in the comments section of my blog and in his own writings. He kept referring me to other things and never actually provided any of the evidence that I asked for, nor did he actually specifically refute my timeline for the Meyer writings. Throughout that, I repeatedly stated that I was not interested in the other stuff, I'd only investigated the Apophis and the Red Meteor writings, and attempts to sidetrack the issue wouldn't succeed. This is also something that anyone who investigates claims needs to be aware of. They need to be able to recognize it and not be misled by it. You need to stay on target. Don't let the other person keep bringing up extraneous information nor ideas. Stay focused on the specific thing that you're addressing. Nearly 21 months after my initial analysis, on September 14, 2011, Michael wrote a blog post entitled, quote, The Answer, where he ostensibly responded to my initial request for that single bit of information that would have linked Apophis to the Red Meteor before its actual, official discovery. Anything, not even necessarily a name, just a year when it'll swing by Earth or some other unambiguous link would have been nice. In The Answer post, Michael's premise is simply plausible deniability. In other words, well, actually, in my own words, Michael's response was in short, quote, the evidence you ask for isn't available because that information was withheld to protect those involved, end quote, and the quote being my interpretation of what he wrote. In other words, as with most conspiracies, evidence for the conspiracy is evidence for the conspiracy, Evidence against the conspiracy was planted, and so it is evidence for the conspiracy. And a lack of evidence indicates that evidence was removed, and so is evidence for the conspiracy. A few weeks later, on October 4th, 2011, Michael wrote, quote, Robbins demanded answers and didn't like them when he got them, so he neither acknowledged nor responded to them. He was offered amazing, ironclad evidence and refused to examine and or comment on it. End quote. I didn't like the answers because they weren't answers, they were excuses. And the ironclad evidence for other things were things that I didn't investigate, and they didn't have to do with the asteroid Apophis and the alleged Red Meteor link. So, if Michael doesn't want to stand by the Red Meteor stuff, if he wants to go to these other things, then he should take it off his website. And that's really where we stand today. Does this one, one case disprove everything? Of course not. But it was a case that Michael put forward as strong evidence for the Meyer veracity, and an analysis of the available evidence, a lack of any other evidence when requested, 
and even a lack of refutation by the proponent of that analysis pretty much shows that it's not a valid prediction. The default is that it's a retrodiction until other evidence refuting that is brought to light. Due to work obligations and the last two episodes being particularly long, the only additional segments for this episode are going to be new news and a tiny announcement. So, a bit of new news in this episode, and it's actually relating to the Mars Science Laboratory Curiosity rover images again. There have been several pages of digital ink spilled talking about alien artifacts, alien life, and UFOs found in the Curiosity images. So, what's going on? Well, in all of them that I've seen, it's either dead or hot pixels that haven't been removed yet because they haven't fully calibrated the cameras, or it's pareidolia, which is seeing familiar patterns in randomness. Curiosity stuff is getting a lot of press on a lot of news sites, and you have many, many people who would otherwise not really be looking at these images looking at them. When you have millions of untrained eyes looking at things and you have conspiracy folks knowing how to do search engine optimization, the result is a lot of this kind of stuff. Lots of pareidolia and lots of common anomalies that astronomers often deal with, but people who don't know what they're doing generally look at them and think, oh look, it's an alien artifact or UFO or etc, etc, etc. The only announcement for this episode is, again, don't forget that you can find this podcast online at podcast.sjardesign.net. You can find the podcast on Facebook under Exposing Pseudoastronomy. Or you can also find me personally on Twitter as Doctor, that's D-R Astro Stew, or the podcast on Twitter as Pseudo Astro. Also, I finally figured out that newfangled Facebook technology and was able to shorten the URL of the podcast Facebook page to simply facebook.com slash exposing pseudoastronomy. That wraps up this topic for the 49th edition of the Exposing Pseudoastronomy podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it and learned a little at the same time. For more information about this podcast, please visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback, please use 1, the feedback form on the website, 2, send an email to podcast at sjrdesign.net, 3, leave a comment on the page for this episode on the website, 4, leave a comment on my blog post for this episode, 5, leave a comment on the Facebook page for the podcast, or even six, send me a tweet, at pseudoastro. I do read every email and appreciate the feedback, and I do read all other forms of feedback as well. If you have suggestions for topics, please feel free to make them. Please write a review and rate this podcast on iTunes or your portal of choice. If you liked it, also tell friends and family and two random acquaintances. Mm-hmm.